0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Work of Tomorrow on Business Radio. Here's your host, Christian Tervish.
1: Welcome to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tervish, and we are here for you every Monday night at 5 p.m. Eastern, followed by replays throughout the week. Though my show is called Work of Tomorrow, after interviewing nearly 100 guests about their work, my producer Matt and I felt that we should take a break and move from work to play. So playing games is the topic of the show today. Playing games, as fun as it is for most of us, is of course work for those people who produce the games. And the gaming industry is going through some very substantial transformations. Reason enough to have a special show dedicated to games, during which we will talk about old games like card games and board games, and those new games which we all are playing online. To help us explore this topic, I will be speaking to two wonderful guests. Elaine Chase, Vice President of eSports for Wizards of the Coast, part of Hasbro Company. And in the second half of the show, I will be talking to Gio Hunt, Executive Vice President and Executive Producer at Blizzard Entertainment, which is a company that produces World of Warcraft. At this point, welcome Elaine.
0: Hello, thank you for having me on.
1: Hey Elaine, Uh, you work for Hasbro, and so it's really in your work that you produce what we all play. If you had two hours with friends or family tonight, what would you play?
0: Uh, I, I would honestly play my favorite game in the world, which is Magic: The Gathering. Um, it might sound a little self-serving because I work on the Magic: The Gathering business, but um, I've been with Wizards for 20 years, and to be honest, it's my dream job. I get to come to work and do what I love to do every day.
1: What makes a board game in general, a card game in general, or in particular Wizards of the Coast so, so special that it you you keep on the, the desire to play it at all times?
0: So for me, really, like we we sell board games and card games. Um, but what we really end up offering people is times with friends around the table. Um, that's really what makes face-to-face gaming the most important thing out there. Um, it gives you a time to just kind of unwind and relax and hang out and have fun with people um, and be clever together. Uh, that, 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 that that to me is what makes um, board gaming and tabletop gaming have a timeless appeal to it.
1: Now, I remember Monopoly, uh, probably the kind of the mother of maybe all of the strategy but many of the board games is, is, is really a Parker Brothers game but it really is now part of Hasbro Corporation right? Yes it is. And you guys with five billion dollar companies are quite you know you have a fair number of games out there you have brands under you such as Play School and Tonka. Can you just explain a little bit uh, the product line and the brands that you have at Hasbro?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, I act, so I work for Wizards of the Coast, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Hasbro. Um, at Wizards of the Coast, we focus on uh, kind of strategy games that target more an adult gamer. Um, so we have our, our flagship brand, which is one of Hasbro's uh, franchise brands, Magic the Gathering, which is a trading card game. It's the first ever trading card game. It's been around for 25 years. Um, in addition to that, we also have Dungeons and Dragons, which was the first ever role-playing game. That's been around for more than 40 years, which shows you how long these games really have in the marketplace. Um, and then Hasbro itself, has a whole host of other game division in his gaming group, um, Monopoly being the one that's most well-known.
1: How do you get them to the uh, consumers? I I think at some point you even had retail stores, right?
0: Yeah, so the interesting thing for Wizards of the Coast um, is that we sell most of our products in through uh, kind of family-owned core hobby game stores. So we have over 6,000 stores around the world in over 70 countries that carry Magic the Gathering um, and Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, And not only do they sell the game, but they also provide play space. So they're really community hubs where people come in and hang out and play games together for hours and hours every week.
1: Tell us about the process of getting a game from initial idea, to design, to prototyping, to testing. I remember about, must have been like 15 years ago, we were living in Europe back then for a bit. uh, The Settlers of Catan came out and I think it was this magical story how an individual basically dreamed up the story, dreamed up the game and turned it into a hugely successful kind of venture. How, How do you create new titles or new games?
0: So the interesting thing for Hasbro on that standpoint is that um, they actually do a lot of social listening and they pay attention to kind of what's trending uh, in the marketplace, what's trending on social media, what are people having fun doing and a lot of the Hasbro games that have come to market recently um, have, have really capitalized on, on those trends uh, For Wizards of the Coast, we make games that, uh, that take a, a little bit uh, kind of a little longer to design As I said, Magic's been around for 25 years um, it's, it's got a fantastic story behind it. Um, uh, the company was very, very small at the time. It was before it was owned by Hasbro, uh, and uh, they, they made role-playing games, uh, and uh, the inventor of the game was Richard Garfield. He came to the the president of Wizards at the time, uh, and he pitched a totally different game. He pitched a board game uh, called RoboRally, and uh, the CEO was like, well, you know, I, I can't really make a board game right now, um, but I'll tell you what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something that's small and portable that you can play in 15 minutes in between games of Dungeons & Dragons. Can, can you come up with something like that Uh, and Richard went back off uh, and he worked on it for a little bit and he came back with this idea um, that he called Maniclash at the time. this was a trading card game Uh, and it was so revolutionary for the marketplace. Nobody had ever done a trading card game before. The thing that makes it different is that unlike traditional card games where everybody plays from the same deck of cards, with a trading card game, everybody has their own collection of cards and they build their own decks with their own strategies and their own approaches Um, and then they can trade cards and build new decks and and try new strategies all the time and it completely revolutionized the game industry when it came out 25 years ago.
1: So can can you design a game like you're designing a new toothpaste where you say, like, I wanted to you know, smell a little this way and taste a little this way, and it has to be good against gravity. You in development go on and do your job now? Or is there, like, a, to stay in the business terminology, is, is there magic involved and you need this kind of magic spark?
0: definitely magic involved. I mean, there, there's certainly a lot of um, uh, discipline that comes in in terms of market research and making sure you know, that people are enjoying it and, and are able to learn it and have a good time. Um, and you iterate as you go. But at the heart of gameplay is games are really an art form more than anything else. Uh, and so it really is coming up with this idea that you have uh, of a way for people to have fun and be clever around their, their, their
1: game. At what point in the development do you know if uh, if a new game is becoming a blockbuster? I mean, I I assume through the market research you do lots of market testing and focus groups, but how predictive are they of the ultimate success if, if something really goes viral?
0: The viralness of a game is something that's really hard to predict. Um, you can do a pretty good job figuring out if you're, if you're checking those boxes and if you have something that's going to be appealing. Um, but uh, just like any you know, other industry, the things that go viral are sometimes unexpected because for something to go viral, it's not just a good quality product that you have. Lots of times there's little bits of, of luck involved in getting the right kind of placement or the right kind of pickup at the right time.
1: Now, uh, when you have such a successful game, uh, there's always a temptation of kind of just coming up with the next version of it as opposed to coming up with something new, right? You kind of like to have extensions and second sequels and sequels just like in movies, really. How do you make that decision when it is time to have like a whole new category, a whole new story versus kind of just telling the next chapter of some of a book that is already written?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question, because at Wizards of the Coast, the games that we make, we consider ourselves stewards of a game that lives on for a very long time. So for both Magic the Gathering and Dungeons & Dragons, we constantly create new experiences, new supplements, new card sets, um, new campaigns uh, that take the core elements of the game but put new twists and new mechanical hooks to them or new world settings and new characters. Um, When you look at new games all, all Overall, um, that's kind of a a different group within the company that'll go and say, hey, what what kind of new opportunities are there? Um, So, for instance, we just came out with a new game called Dungeon Mayhem, um, which is a simple, fun, fast family card game that's based loosely around the the IP and world of Dungeons & Dragons but is a completely different play experience.
1: How does this fit with your market segmentation in in the sense that I could imagine if there is somebody who has been loyally playing Dungeons & Dragons for, for 10, 15 years they would of course be more receptive to like a, a new version new cards new elements because they they really they cherish the memories and memories are really coming to life over years that they have played this with family and friends versus a new generation entering the market in, which they are old enough now to purchase their own games they don't have these memories uh, so, so how do you how do you smack, segment these markets
0: yeah, it's a really good question. Um when you're dealing with brands and games that have been around as long as Magic and Dungeons and Dragons, um the 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 trick is to not just play to the people who exist, because if you do that, then what happens is the games get more complex and more complex over time. Um, because if you're just talking to people who have already learned the game, then they're just constantly looking for the new thing. Um, we've actually found as we've gone through both games, both Magic and D&D, that there's been times throughout the history where we've took a look and we've gone through the market research and we've seen what's happening in terms of you know player acquisition and people being able to come into the game and realized that we've gone a little bit too far and the game itself had gotten too dense. and. It was just too hard. It was too inaccessible for people to get into it. Um, And so there's always this constant balancing act between making sure the game is always fresh and new and interesting for the people who've been around, um, also making sure it's relevant to what's going on in entertainment today, uh, while at the same time being accessible and welcoming to people who are new to the game. Um, The the best way we found to do that often is to make sure we always have a suite of entry-level products, right, whether they're card sets um, or campaign sets, um, things that make it easy and accessible for people to come in, and then you put that little more crunchy bit of, you know, more complex things in kind of deeper into the product
1: lineup. Talking about staying fresh and relevant, uh, I mean, online and virtual games are are, are clearly kind of the, the, the elephant in the room here. Uh, so how, how, how have you kind of, you've been in this profession for a while now, how, how how did you experience first the kind of the video games, now the online games, now the, the more social media games, how did you experience that kind of transformation of the, at least part of the industry?
0: Yeah, so Magic's been around for 25 years, as I said, um, and during that time we've been innovators in a lot of different spaces. Uh, we actually had the first digital collectible card game with Magic the Gathering Online when it released in 2002 which is ages ago now Um, but uh, we've always seen that digital is a space where we can reach new customers, uh, where we can create create new fans and every time we've come out with a new digital experience we've actually found that we've brought people into the tabletop version at the same time that they've come into the digital version. Um, We had another great success called Duels of the Planeswalkers which originally came out on Xbox Live um, and that really opened up and, and ushered in a, a really long period of growth for us. Um, but today, I'm super excited uh, that we have our new, brand new digital offering, which is Magic the Gathering Arena. Um, so it's a PC based game that is very modern quick to play. Um, it's as much fun to stream and watch on Twitch as it is to play, uh, and it really is for us that entry point into um, getting that wider group of digital gamers. Uh, that that segment of the audience is just, it, it's much bigger than what's available for tabletop, so we're really excited to introduce Magic to a whole new category of gamers who may not have ever touched a card before.
1: In case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Work of Tomorrow here on Business Radio. I'm your host, Christian Tervish, and I'm chatting with Elaine Chase, who's Vice President of Esports for Wizards of the Coast. And we're talking about now the relationship between the, pardon the wording, the old traditionally established uh, games such as card games and board games and their relationships uh, with the online gaming world. And um, can you, at whatever level of detail, uh, Elaine, you're comfortable sharing, can you give us a sense of the percentage of Wizards of the Coast games that are played online, uh, that are played electronically?
0: Uh, so since Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and & Dragons have been around so long and our newest digital offerings are really quite new to the market, we still see a bulk of our sales today being in that tabletop space. That said, we see huge growth potential for us in front of us in the digital realm. We're really looking forward to introducing our brands to a whole host of new gamers.
1: And do you see, I mean, I, I liked how you put it. it in some sense in the, the, the new technology, the online technology, could basically be for you a customer acquisition channel with the main part of revenues going forward becoming from the board game still, or it could just be a replacement in 20 years from now. Uh, how how do you just how do you think about kind of the revenue model that you with your business aspire to grow into?
0: Yeah, as, as I said before, the potential audience within the digital game space is gigantic. It's, just, it's much bigger than what is available within the tabletop space, um, even though tabletop gaming has been growing at a significant clip over the last five years, um, and I don't think that's going to slow down anytime soon. Um, so we definitely see our tabletop business growing over time, uh, but I would not be surprised at all for our digital business to just explode. Um, we've got the right game at the right market at the right time, and with the initiatives that we're putting behind it, such as our investment in eSports, and we really do expect that to pay off.
1: Now, many companies we talk to on the show have a certain tension, in many ways the whole show is about the tension between the old and the new. And I'm just wondering, when you're going into this online world increasingly now and also looking for the business future, more and more revenue coming from this online world, uh, how do you make that transition or this this kind of this is how do you start the new voyage is there a separate unit that uh, is basically only in charge of the digital product is there basically uh, one common team responsible for everything is there a tension between the old and the new within your organization
0: so what we did for Magic the Gathering Arena was we, we built a new team, and that new team was split kind of uh, with, with people from two different groups. Some of the team came from the existing Magic business. We took people who know Magic, who know Magic fans, who know the game, who know what people are looking for and knows what to make it awesome. And then we brought into the company a whole host of talent from the digital games industry to add to us the thing that we were missing, which is how do we make awesome digital games how do we make a really great user experience how do we how do we translate this amazing game that's been around for so long into a into a method and into a platform uh, that really lets it shine as it lives there Um, and so we took this combined approach of having a a mix of existing Wizards employees and then bringing in digital talent uh, and that has been uh, really successful for us
1: that must have led to some, let me politely and diplomatically call it creative friction, right? Between, I'm mean, just picturing somebody who is maybe an English major or an artist who has kind of perfected a certain card and now comes this kind of kid from MIT who is talking about latency in computer networks to make the gaming experience fun. Um, is, that, is that kind of a cultural shock that you experienced or is, 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 am I naive about that?
0: Oh, no, there definitely was creative friction. Um, But honestly, creative friction is something that we thrive in here. Um, We we have creative friction even just within, you know, the tabletop divisions that we have. Uh, Our our philosophy here really is one that uh, we want people to come out and debate ideas openly and move forward so that we've got all the best possible plans in front of us. Um, And we really tried to defer to people for their area of expertise. I think that's the thing that helped us navigate um, those kind of, you know, political friction waters um, in that the, the people who really know the existing business, people they were deferred to for understanding who our customer is today. Um, and the people who really understood the digital business were deferred to when we're talking about who is our customer of tomorrow.
1: Elaine, to the extent that you are willing to share details, and you really don't have to go into micro-level details here, but I would like to talk about the business models and the, the financials. Um, let's just pick a traditional board or card game. What is? Can you give us a rough sense of a cost structure? A game that you would purchase, like, and let's make it maybe not one of your games, if that you, if you're more comfortable with that. If I purchase a box of Settlers of Catan, um, how much does it cost to produce a box like that? With the box, the cards, the the items that are in there, the cardboard for the game? What is the kind of the variable production cost? Order that's of that's magnitude.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great question, and I'm sorry, but unfortunately, I don't feel comfortable answering. Oh, okay,
1: that. fair, fair enough, right? But. Um, the there's i mean people always think of the old card bo- the the old card games or the board games like the old technology and digital everything is free but these are having written books and sold books myself these are very healthy margin products ultimately right i mean it's it's not something that a box for 30 dollars is costing you 25 dollars in production
0: I mean, honestly, it's just like any other industry. um, And really, everything goes down to scale, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If if you're able to sell a lot of a product, then you amortize your costs over what you're making. Um, So really, the trick in the board and card game industry is that so many games, even when they're successful, have very small print runs, right? And and that increases the cost. Um, It's when you're able to have monster hits like Magic and Dungeons and Dragons, where you can start to really see that benefit of scale.
1: What I find interesting with the kind of the traditional non-digital way of, of gaming, again, doesn't matter if you pick Monopoly, if you pick Dungeons and Dragons or Settlers of Catan, you as a company, you sell a box to a customer and that customer might get 10, 20, 30 years of game time and wonderful time with friends and family out of that game And you don't know it really, right? I mean, uh, unless they're coming back to you for other products. But they, they can have a great time without ever connecting back to the producer.
0: That that is true. So the, the the thing that we do to help try to connect with our audience as much as possible um, is the the Wizards games really thrive on people getting together and playing together um, in in fairly public places. So one of our most successful programs is called Friday Night Magic, and what it is is that uh, in six thousand stores around the world, every Friday night, people go into their local friendly game store to hang out and play magic, um, and all of those people are in our tournament system, so we, they have accounts with us. Um, we Can see trends and how people are playing and how they're interacting with the product. Um, Now, of course, we can't capture, you know, when someone's playing, you know, at at the the cafeteria at school or you know, in a a club after work um, or things like that. Uh, But we are able to connect with a, a huge amount of our audience because of our store programs and our relationship with our local retailers.
1: That's really interesting, right? Because again, I think it helps make the move or helps with attention that there's a difference between selling a product. Uh, But ultimately, you are a service provider, right? Really what you said, Elaine, at the beginning of the interview is you're really selling experiences, right? And uh, the experience is not something that you buy once and you have forever. It needs to be recreated every time. So I I love this kind of this approach of having the games be played in stores, having leagues, having tournaments. Um, So you have, I would imagine, like a whole team of folks that are basically in charge of kind of helping that community to stay engaged and kind of play these games.
0: Yeah, but believe it or not, we actually have two different teams. Um, we have one whole team that's for our Wizards Play Network, um, and that's the team that interacts with the stores that we have around the world. Um, and they don't just help them with sales, right? Of, of course, sales is a component of it, um, but really, the focus of our of our WPN team is to get stores to be able to do the best job possible in nurturing their communities, right? How do they build their player base? How do they attract new people into their stores? How do they make sure their store is is a fun, friendly place where people feel happy to come back? Um, That's a huge focus for us as a company. Um, And then the other team that we have working on it um, is our uh, eSports and competitive gaming team, which is the team that I lead. And we are focused on that more top-level competitive play, um, whether that be in tabletop where we have, um, you know, 50 uh, Grand Prix tournaments around the world every year where, every, where over the course of a weekend a few thousand people will show up and you know play in a competitive tournament but then it's also surrounded by side events and artist signings and all kinds of other things that happen at the event um, from things like Grand Prix through uh, our championship events that we have um, and we're super excited that this year coming up with the introduction of Magic Gathering Arena on digital uh, we've actually just announced that we've revamped the entirety of our competitive gaming program to be able to introduce great esports with magic the gathering arena
1: so speaking of the esports or the the online games um, what's the revenue model there? And again, without going into d- into details, but the basic revenue model in the old world was if if, if the box costs thirty dollars and you're selling ten boxes, you got three hundred dollars. Right. Basically, it's just price times volume. Versus in the digital world, we can basically have s- subscriptions. We can have pay per game. We can have pay per minute. We can have it free and hope to make the money up. Uh, make the money in in, in the traditional games. Uh, what type of overall strategy do you see pursuing yourself in the uh, in 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 the digital world
0: Yeah, so for Magic the Gathering Arena, it is a free-to-play game. um, So people can go in and play and earn cards um, without spending a dime. Um, uh, Just like every other free-to-play game, there are opportunities to purchase. Um, But we really see the introduction of eSports within that space as a way to get people engaged in the game, um, something, you know, to give them something to do to to strive after. Um, And then the the broadcast and viewership of the eSports competitions we see as a way to build awareness and acquisition for the game.
1: Are there experiences that you feel like don't translate well online? Again, going back to your opening examples, it's really about shared experiences around the table, right? There's this communal element of of, of gaming uh, that potentially gets lost in, 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 in the online world. How do you think about kind of what part of the product attribute can be translated into the digital world and what part is really just uniquely part of just touching the good old paper cards?
0: Yeah, so the thing that Magic has going for it is that it actually is a united community that has both ways to play. So. Uh, MTG Arena and Tabletop Magic both have the same cards that come out that get released. Um, they both are playing the same kind of decks. People are playing the same in the same community. Um, and people will play both. Uh, so what we see happen is that people will play MTG Arena when they're at home, you know, when they can't make it to the game store. Um, it's, it's just super convenient for them. But then they'll go out and they'll try to get together in person with people on Friday night for Friday Night Magic or hang out with their friends. Um, and so having this combination of um, playing the same game with the same cards with the same people, but uh, sometimes I play it face-to-face and sometimes I play it online, really adds this still personal connection even when you're playing the digital game.
1: So in some sense, how we oftentimes here in the university world think of our courses where we have kind of the traditional lecture hall type of courses and now we have online courses. And ideally, we would like our students to take a little bit of both um what i was interested in is kind of as you think about coming up with new online content excuse me with new content like new cards new characters how how do you decide what kind of what dragons what cards to release is that something again i'm thinking in the digital world it would be very quick to get your user base vote on what kind of dragon comes next or what feature of the story comes next Uh, how do you how do you see yourself taking advantage of that
0: so we definitely see ourselves taking advantage of the fact that MTG Arena is digital and being able to offer some some uh, some digital experiences that you just can't do in tabletop. Um, the two of them combined, though, really do focus on having the same kind of card sets come out. But for, to give you an example, um, we have a digital format that's called um, Momir Basic, and it basically lets you... Uh, bring out cards from the entirety of Magic's collection randomly. Um, That's obviously something you couldn't possibly do uh, with 18,000 different cards in Tabletop. Um, It would just be impossible. But it's a fun format um, that still lets you use the same cards that Tabletop uses and the same rules that Tabletop uses, but it gives you a very uniquely digital experience.
1: So let's talk a little bit about how it feels like working for you since, you know, after all, the the show is called Work of Tomorrow. So uh, if I would work for you, how much of my weekly hours would I spend uh, playing (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, honestly, it depends on what, what department that you're Fair in. Fair enough. So, uh, yeah. I, so I, I personally spent four years in research and development as a trading card game designer. Um, and in that world, I, I would spend a good 80% of my time playing games. Um, to be honest, it was one of the best jobs I've ever had. It was, it was pretty amazing. I would actually get notes in my review saying I needed to make sure I played more. You know, if you could imagine that as, as getting that note on your, on your review. Um, the, the folks on my team, I try to make sure that we have time set aside every week where we can sit down and play um, uh, face-to-face, tabletop, and then also everyone's encouraged to sit down and make sure that they've got time every week to play MTG Arena digitally, Um, because you really need to live the experience that your fans and your players are having in order to create the best possible experiences for them.
1: When you recruit new talent, do you have a sense, is that a personality trait, whether somebody is good at this type of job or can you screen for that? Can you see it from their vita where they graduated? How how do you get a sense of who is a good, good kind of game developer?
0: Yeah, so um, we look for a a lot of different things. And again, it depends on what job you're coming for in the company because we have so many different um, uh, disciplines here. Um, But for instance, if you're coming in and you want to be a a game designer or game developer, um, what we really look for is have you designed and developed games before? Um, And, uh, of course, being published always helps. Um, But even if you come to the table with, you know, hey, I've done this design work or I've worked for these places before, that that helps a lot. Um, The the other kind of good places we come in for that creative side are we take people in um, with literary backgrounds you know people who have very uh, robust storytelling backgrounds Um, we have a lot of artists on our staff Um, so really at the end of the day it depends on what discipline you're coming in for and and we look for you to have demonstrated excellence in the discipline that you're coming to
1: what is next for you elaine as a company and for you personally in your career
0: Honestly, for me, really, it is all about our eSports initiative. Um, So uh, I've been with the company for 20 years, um, and just recently um, I I switched roles. I previously was uh, the vice president of global brand strategy and marketing for Magic, um, leading the Magic the Gathering business. Um, And our eSports initiative is so important to the company. And by the company, I mean not just Wizards. I also mean Hasbro um, that uh, I've moved over to focus on it full time. Uh, So for me, it's really taking the game of magic that I love that's been around for 25 years um, and exploding us out on the eSports competitive scene um, by tapping into the legacy that we've had with competitive gaming um, that's been around for more than 20 years um, and and really making a strong entrance in that digital eSports space.
1: I need to ask you one personal question. Have you ever cheated in Monopoly?
0: No, I do not cheat in Monopoly.
1: That's a strong statement. <laughs> I, was just, I was just wondering, having a more reliable bank in uh, Monopoly than many parents might be uh, <laughs> is another great example of digitalization. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank <laughs> you so much, Elaine. Elaine Chase, Vice President of Esports for Wizards of the Coast at Hasbro Company. For more guest interviews,
0: check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.